Hey everybody, welcome to episode 148 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas for this intro on a Sunday. I am excited about my topic today because I think it'll be interesting for all of you. Diving into a training topic today with fellow Rogue coach Brent Stein, who was also on episode 126, 22 episodes ago, where we talked about his approach and his core training principles with lots of athlete examples. So definitely check that one out if you haven't already. But today, Brent and I are going to be talking about the what ifs of training. What if you miss a workout? What if you have a bad workout? What if you get sick? What if you go on vacation? What if you get injured? The what ifs of training and not only how you manage those things in the moment, but then also how you come back from them or Maybe not. Maybe just keep rolling through. So that's going to be our main topic because I get a lot of questions on those types of things, not only from athletes here in Austin, but from those of you who might be listening. How do you make those adjustments when the unexpected happens? And as we all know, the unexpected will happen. As I like to say, there's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. So You're always managing or working through something unexpected. And today we'll talk a little bit about how to do that as each of those unexpected scenarios comes. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we dive in, wanted to quickly cover off on some current events. We had a couple of relatively big things happen in the running world over the last seven, eight days. The first was a big result for the Bowerman Track Club men. They put on a race at the Nike campus last weekend in Beaverton, Oregon. Actually, I guess it was on Tuesday night, so it wasn't last weekend, on this past Tuesday at the Michael Johnson track on the Nike campus in Beaverton and just outside of Portland. And if you've never been to the Nike campus, it is truly a playground for athletes and they have a track on site that's quite beautiful and it has a wooded area sort of in the on the infield so it's not like your traditional track you've got a wooded infield so you can't necessarily see from one side to the other at least from all vantage points so it's got an interesting cool feel like you're doing a track workout in the middle of the forest well Jerry Schumacher and company decided to put on a race just so that Three of his his athletes could get the Olympic 5K standard. He was trying to get that done for Woody Kincaid, Matthew Centrowitz, and Lopez LeMong. And not only did they do it, they did it in spades, running really, really fast. Woody Kincaid had a massive PR to run a 12.58 to secure the fifth fastest 5K time ever by an American. And then Lopez was just behind him in just over 13 minutes and... Matthew Centrowitz was just behind Lopez and also a time within that 13-minute flat range. So they, they basically crushed it, and they did it in front of that Bowerman Track Club community as well as Nike employees and others that were out there actually lining the track, cheering those guys on as they got it done. So really, really cool, really big result for them to be able to do that on that track on their home track with a crowd like that is is cool. We need more of things like that in the world of track and field. 
Woody, I think, shocked himself by being able to run 12.58. He was running behind. They were all running behind their teammate, Mohamed, who helped pace them early. And then Lopez kind of took over with a couple laps to go. And then Woody came around him in the final lap to close strong and get under 13. So really, really impressive. It's unfortunate, you know, Woody finished third at USA's. It's unfortunate that the U.S. didn't allow him to go chase the world standard because really showing this fitness means he should be one of our U.S. athletes in Doha at Worlds, but unfortunately doesn't have that ability to do that because the USATF did not allow athletes to chase the standard this year. That's really silly in my opinion, but nevertheless, he now has a Tokyo standard and a top five time in the U.S. all time, which means that not only Woody, but Lopez and potentially Matt Centrowitz, depending on what he decides to do, are all potential threats, not only to make a U.S. team, but really with times like this, potentially earn a medal in the 5K. So that's really exciting. This also bodes well for Lopez, who, and and Centrowitz, Lopez is competing in the 10K at Worlds, and so this shows that his fitness is on point, on form, and so that bodes well for what he could potentially do there. And then, of course, Matt Centrowitz is going to be competing in the 1500, but to be able to run 13 flat in the 5K means that he's also on form to potentially do something strong coming back from injury and hopefully getting back on form, the same form that got him gold at Rio. So we shall see, but it's exciting to not only see this result, but also see the Bowerman Track Club men show that they're here and ready to show out as the women have been doing from that group for quite a long time. So that's exciting not only for the Bowerman Track Club, but I think for all U.S. fans to see that we've got three men who are going to be strong in the 1500 and beyond perhaps for a while to come now. So congrats to Woody, congrats to Schumacher and the whole team for getting that done. Really impressive. The other thing we got to talk about is a new half marathon world record that was run by Jeffrey Kumroar this weekend. He ran a 58.01 to to break the prior world record, which is which is held by an athlete who is currently uh, going through the process of being sanctioned for a bio- biological passport violation. So it's good to see a at least untainted as of yet athlete now take control of that half marathon world record. Again, 58.01. It looked like potentially on the clock he might have snuck under 58, but the official time is actually 58.01 which shows that that 58-minute barrier is now well within reach for the half marathon. It's also good to see Jeffrey Kamaroor get it. He's an athlete that trains with Patrick Sang, who is Kipchoge's coach. And so this definitely puts Kamaroor as the heir apparent to Kipchoge whenever he does decide to hang up his marathon racing flats. But now you have both the half marathon world record and the marathon world record held by athletes from that Patrick Sang group. Kamor also will be racing in New York coming up in November. So this this shows that he's definitely 
on strong form. Now, can he take that half marathon form and translate it to the marathon? That is always a different question, but shows that he's fit and still has about six weeks to put things together for New York to hopefully get his title back there. Last year, he finished third after winning the prior year. So can he come back around and get on top of the podium again at New York? We will see. But this certainly shows that his build is going going well if he can put the final pieces together for New York coming up soon. So congrats to Kamroor. It's good to see, as I mentioned, a quote-unquote untainted athlete get that half-marathon world record. But it's, you know, it also, in some ways... To me, always, whenever I see somebody break a world record, it unfortunately raises eyebrows for me because usually and, and oftentimes if you're breaking world records at this level, these are these are often tainted world records already as this one was. So then for me, unfortunately, that naturally puts a cloud of doubt on somebody because of the breakout performance, which is a sad way to think, unfortunately, but it's just where my mind goes, although I do find some solace in knowing that Kamara has a long history of big results, so this is not outside of the realm of of the progression that he's shown. Also knowing that he trains with Patrick Sang's group and Kipchoge, who I do happen to believe in, also gives me solace that at least he's surrounding himself, at least for now, with those who seem to be doing things the right way. So, I'm going to believe in this for now until I until I until I have evidence otherwise but just to be fully transparent that is always a little bit where my mind goes when things like this happen. But there you go. Couple of big current events. Congrats again to Woody Kincaid and the Bowerman Track Club group. Congrats to Patrick Sang and Jeffrey Cambroor. I'll be rooting for him coming up in New York. And with that, as a quick intro, let's jump to our main topic again, talking with Brent Stein about the what-ifs of training. All right, so now we will turn attention to our main topic. I've got Brent Stein here with me, rogue coach and guest from episode 126, where we talked a little bit about your training philosophy and we got a lot of good examples from that episode. So if you haven't listened to 126 with Brent, definitely check it out. Today, he is going to be my collaborator on our topic where we discuss the what-ifs of training. And I think we want to start by setting expectations, Brent, on what people can expect. But we're going to get into, as we talk about this topic, you know, what if I get hurt? What if I have vacation? What if I miss a workout? What if I get sick? What if I have a bad workout? We're going to talk about all of those things and how to not only manage it in the moment, but then how to potentially bounce back from one of those things if something unexpected happens but before we want to set the expectations and I think we could I could probably summarize it by simply saying expect the unexpected that's a good way <laughs> right? to think about it with with training whether you're training for really any race any distance from trying to run a fast 5k all the way up to the marathon but I would say especially for a marathon cycle absolutely your you're going to run into things you didn't expect. And so, you know, you and I were just talking about this offline. How do you talk to athletes about just that concept? Yeah. Well, I I think the idea of expectations is really important. Um, 
just in general and especially with this kind of athlete coach relationship. So the the way I kind of think about it and, and I articulate to my athletes is the way our the way we develop our curriculum, which is extremely rigorous, we don't anticipate really any athlete ever to achieve a hundred percent perfection in a macro cycle. It's maybe kind of the holy grail that we'd all like to think maybe out there and we could potentially achieve, but we expect setbacks. We expect people to have bad workouts along the way. We expect people to take vacation and not to have a perfect week when they're on vacation. Um, so I, I think first off, just setting those appropriate expectations with um, the group and the individuals to know that like it's going to happen. Um, it's just a matter of when and what. And um, if they have that kind of understanding from the get-go, then it's it's more likely not to be as big of a mental hurdle once it happens. Yeah, I, I like to say there's no such thing as a perfect cycle. You know, I, I don't even think that exists because something's always going to pop up. And especially if you're towing the line of trying to get the most out of yourself, you're, you're, you're intentionally taking yourself to the edge yeah. and it's going to happen that you step over that edge at some point, whether that be a short setback or a longer setback. And so expect that to happen, prepare to manage it. And I must say for, for speaking for myself, you know, the last two marathons where I PR, where I PR'd those cycles were some of my least perfect cycles, you know? And so, I think that's the other point here is that not only expect the unexpected, but also expect that you can still get big results from a less than perfect cycle. It's about the body of work that you're doing and not about one thing. I mean, I, I even remember, and we'll talk about this example more when we talk about vacation, but you know, my, I PR'd for the marathon about, I think it was two months after getting married <laughs> and wow. we, we took a two week honeymoon, <laughs> came back, Perfect you know, taper, right? Per, came back a month and a <laughs> half later and PR for the marathon. So, and, and I was not running diligently <laughs> as I shouldn't have been on my honeymoon. So that goes back now 16 years. But, but the point is there's a lot of ways you can get those big results. And I like to think, as an athlete, not only is it the body of work that matters, but also that the imperfect cycles, the, the the adversity that you face in an imperfect cycle actually can help you. Yeah. Makes you mentally stronger. It makes you, it makes you prepared. It, It in some ways makes you more diligent, you know, maybe about all the little things when you have setbacks, cause you know, you have less room for error. And so the best race outcomes I've had have often come off of imperfect cycles in all aspects, not only from manning injury to having vacation to having bad workouts to, you know, getting sick. I mean, in, in literally all the things we're going to talk about, I've had all those things happen in a cycle and still get a result. And so that's what people need to realize is that it's okay to have a less than perfect cycle and in fact, it may actually set you up even better to have a good race. Yeah, I, I would agree. In fact, I think we, we would both agree that there's a huge mental component to training for marathon, correct? So 
those types of setbacks and failures um, in, in my mind could be better than having a perfect cycle. In fact, I, I tell my athletes that I, I want you to fail at some point. Not because I want to see them fail, <laughs> but I want to see them be able to overcome that failure in their training. The last thing I'd want for, for you know to, to happen with one of our athletes is for them to have this perfect cycle and then that failure comes in their A race. Right. Um, so, so in a lot of us have heard about the idea and the concept of growth mindset popularized by a uh, professor of psychology, Carol Dweck. And she talks about this, this idea that it's, it's all about how you frame it. So if you frame it in, in a way that failure and, and pushing ourselves to those boundaries and, and whether we overcome it or don't, um, still pushing yourself to, to your point is a huge learning opportunity. So I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I just had a huge PR back last year at CIM, and it was by no means a perfect cycle. I had some great workouts, but I had some miserable workouts along the way. Yep. But I thought about it in, in, in the frame of this is all part of the process. And when I go line up on race day, in December in Sacramento, I know that I've, I have a huge body of work and I'm pretty mentally strong because I've had some crappy workouts that I've come back from and then I've had some really good workouts along the way too. Yep. All right. So with that as context, that we're going to expect the unexpected. <laughs> we're going to be okay with setbacks because that's going to set us up for success from the lessons we get from that. Then let's talk through these five what-ifs and I'm going to do it sort of in grade based on sort of least bad in our mind to, to, to worse. So we're going to start with bad workouts or missing workouts and go all the way to injury yep. along the spectrum. So we'll get more serious, so so to speak, as we go. <clears throat> and I think it's particularly appropriate to talk about this first kind of what if. What if I have a bad workout? Because we just had a big workout here. Oh, <laughs> we, yeah. You and I were talking about it this morning on our run. Had a big long run workout for our groups here this past Saturday. It's early September in Texas, still getting over 100 degree days, still really hot, really humid, challenging conditions, compounded by the fact that a lot of our athletes raced on Friday. We have a, a fun local relay called Zilker Relays that many people did on Friday, a four by two and a half mile relay. So they did that, turned around, and we had them do a workout on Saturday. It was a modified version, so we had one for those that raced and one for those that didn't. But you combine all those factors with the heat and just the fact that it was a tough workout, and you as we as coaches expect that some people aren't going to nail it, that you're going to have some failure. So it's appropriate to talk about this now because... Very appropriate. Because it just happened to a lot of our runners that maybe they did have a bad workout on Saturday, and that came in a lot of forms. For some people, it came in the form of not hitting their paces. For some people, it came in the form of having to stop early. For some people, it came in the form of into, you know, choosing not to do it at all and run easy for whatever reason. So so it can come a lot of, in a lot of different forms what a bad workout might look like. And you know, the first question that we're going to ask along each of these what-ifs is, okay, first, how do I manage it? Then how do I come back from it? How do I manage it in the moment being the first part of that? And and I know you were there. I, I, I had soccer games to attend, so unfortunately I couldn't be there for the workout, but you were there helping our runners deal with it in the moment. Attempting to at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, attempting to deal with it. So talk a little bit about that from a coaching perspective. When you see somebody struggling, 
how do you coach them through through that experience? Yeah, well, so you and I talked about this a little bit on our run this morning, and and I, I think the 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 first and most important thing is if if they're going to start the workout, ideally, I want them to try and finish. Um, even if they're falling off paces, even if that means we have to bake in a little extra rest or do an easy loop in between, um, to me, the, the, the mental confidence that they can take away from that, even with a bad workout is usually, um, a lot more valuable than if they bail on the workout. Now there's extenuating circumstances, of sure. course. And, and we actually had some of those, um, this weekend where I did recommend that a couple individuals bail, cut their losses and run home easy. But for the most part, I think there's a lot to be taken away by sticking it out, trying to overcome, even as your paces fade, because you're still doing a lot of work and it's, it's pretty free, easy for us as coaches to kind of help them mend afterwards to, to talk about the fact that this was not only a really tough workout, but it was what 80 degrees upwards of 85 by the end with a thousand percent humidity. <laughs> um, so we don't expect them to be hitting their race paces. Right. Um, it's hard to deal with for athletes in the moment. Um, but I think, I, I think there's a lot to be gained from just finishing, um, some some version of the workout yeah and i think that mentality starts before you start and look i'm not going to criticize anybody for bailing early on that workout no, period no. that's not what this is about you know everybody who showed up that saturday and and gave it their best effort kudos right so this is no not doubt. about this is not about criticizing anybody for whatever decision they made or however that workout turned out for them this is just about talking through it and trying to help people get the most out of those situations when they happen. And I do, I do think it starts before you start of setting the intention to, to finish setting the intention to be okay with paces sliding. If they need to slide, Yep. setting the intention to communicate with a coach who's there to say, if, if you have that available to say, Hey, do I need to extend the rest? I know a lot of people in my group end up extending rest. Right. Uh, in in order to make it all work, which is a perfectly good decision, you know, if that's what you need to do to kind of get back, you know, to get back going for the next rep. So, but set the intention that you're going to manage it however it comes. And I do think a lot of times people go into the workout intimidated by the whole thing and they try to, as I like to say, they try to run the whole thing in their head at once. Right. <laughs> or people do this with marathons as well or halves. They're like, they try to run the whole thing in their head at once. And that's impossible to comprehend, especially if you're going to do something you've never done before, which is run your fastest time ever. And, you know, but just set the intention to take it one rep at a time, set the intention to manage it as best you can when it comes and be okay with imperfection. So to me, that's the beginning. But then once you get into it, you know, then again, it's a matter of being okay with that imperfection as it comes and if that means sliding the paces, that's okay. If the effort's still there, whether your paces are or are not, that's okay. You're still doing work. Now, of course, as you said, there's extenuating circumstances, injury, heat, you know, illness, those kinds of things, good reasons to, to bail. If your paces are really falling off and if your form is, you know, is completely obliterated, that's also a situation where I would tell somebody to stop. You don't want to continue if... You're going to cause injury because right, you're right. 
compensating in money, funny ways or your form has completely you know, fallen apart. But if you're able to maintain, you're falling off a little bit, that's okay. Just keep working through it until you get to the end and you know then take your lessons then go back and look at your data take your lessons from it right. it's interesting that i had uh, a couple we did what three weeks ago we had another workout that someone did in my group and and it went really well and i had just come off saying to them i actually like it when it goes poorly <laughs> because it means they have to learn from it and this particular <laughs> runner texted me and he said I'm scared. It went too well. <laughs> you know, he's like, how do I really want to learn from this? How do I learn from it? Which I thought was also funny. But it but it just goes to show you that it doesn't have to go poorly for you to, to take lessons too. You know, it I'm not necessarily expecting somebody to fail or wanting them to fail even. In this case I just said, look, well now your lesson becomes what did I do? to set myself up for success Absolutely. in the way that it happened. So you can still draw from that and the lessons just become, what did I do to make it go so well? Yeah. You know, and then repeat that, you know, the next time out. Um, so, you know, those things can happen too. And really at the end of the day, whether it goes poorly or whether it goes, you know, perfectly, the question is, what did you learn and how can you get better next time? Yeah. I mean, so in that example, you know, potentially this athlete set appropriate intentions, expectations beforehand and had a positive mindset that, yeah, this is an intimidating workout, but it's one that if I break it down into pieces, I can accomplish. And, and if that's the case and that yielded the result, then absolutely you take away a lot from that because now you know that works for you. And that's a great mental strategy that you can use in further in, in future workouts as well as race. Yep. So that's a little bit on managing it in the moment. And again, I also want to emphasize that regardless of what decisions you make in a bad workout, whether it's cutting it early, extending the rest, slowing down, whatever it is, you also have to look, you have to move past it. Absolutely. You know, make those decisions. You're, you're using your best judgment in the moment and you shouldn't beat yourself up for those decisions. The only thing you should do is say, okay, I made these decisions, reflect on whether they were the right ones, if maybe you would have done it differently the, the next time that happens, but don't beat yourself up. This is not a, this is not something where you should feel like you've, you're a failure because you didn't hit a workout. And I think that is one of the challenges with the word failure in our culture is right. that we view it as a negative thing when really it's just about, as you said, opportunity to learn. But I do, but for some people, I think it is better to reframe it instead of saying, okay, I failed this workout or I had a bad workout. It's more about, okay, what did I learn in the workout and just remove all of the negative energy that comes with, oh, sort of that self-flagellation, that whipping ourselves. Well, I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have fallen a pace. I shouldn't have cut it early. I shouldn't have whatever X, Y, Z, because that is when it becomes dangerous and you start hanging on to negative energy versus Absolutely. focusing on the positive lessons. So that's a big that's a big thing. Yep. This is not an opportunity to beat yourself up. Because that gets me to the next thing about okay, what next? You know, we talked about taking your lessons and incorporating those beyond. But how do you come back from a bad workout? And you know, I've had some people say to me before, can I make it up? <laughs> no. <laughs> can, I, can I do it next weekend? <laughs> you know, I cut it early. Can I do it next weekend? 
And what do you say in those situations? Yeah, I mean, first off, the answer is flat out no. We don't make up workouts. We don't <laughs> right. make up bad workouts. We don't make up missed workouts because that's a recipe for disaster. Um, because then, especially if you're trying to make up a bad workout, then you're adding to the workload. And that's that's not the formula that we're following. Um, so that's a recipe for disaster, potential injury, and, and potential worse failures. So absolutely not. Um, if I could back up a second, what, yep. what the way I frame it with my athletes, because you and I have been there. I mean, we've had bad workouts and, and it doesn't feel good. Nope. And so I, I give my athletes permission to pout about it, to sulk for about two or three hours. <laughs> and w- whatever they need to yep. do to feel bad, to beat themselves up, go, go ahead. If you want to vent to me, if you want to vent to a friend or a teammate, take that time to do it and then put it in your past. Have short-term memory. Really, I tell them have short-term memory with good workouts and bad workouts. Right. Um, because just just because you had a good workout in September doesn't mean you're fit to race in December if the body of work isn't there. So the only thing, so this is the way I try and position it with them, is the only thing that you can control is what you do moving forward. What's right. in the past is in the past. Yep. And beating yourself up, continuing to feel bad about it, or you know, try to think about what I should have done differently does you absolutely no good. Instead, to your point, what did I learn from it, and what am I going to do differently next time to set myself up for better success? Yep. So, and next time is not repeating the workout tomorrow <laughs> or next week. It's right. next time we have another opportunity that's already built into the schedule. Yeah, exactly. Looking ahead, focus, focusing on the next step in the process, which if you had a bad workout might involve a little additional recovery for you, depending on how you feel the next day. But to me, that's also something that should always be a filter for you. You know, if you go to that next, you know, that, that next recovery run the next day, you know, if somebody had a bad workout, failed, maybe got a little overheated, whatever on Saturday. And then I'd still say, go do your recovery run on Sunday. That's, that's what's on the schedule. Now you might slow that thing way down. You might start out by walking it, you know, and then gradually kind of pick up to an easy pace and then pick it up from there. And so, yes, you may need to adjust your paces the next day. You may need to adjust your distance the next day, but get up and go do your recovery run and do the other things you need to do to get recovered. If you got overheated, if you got dehydrated, you know, amp up all of those things in the following days so you can try to get back to normal. Absolutely. And, you know, if you have lingering effects beyond that, of course, consult with your coach or maybe consider making further modifications in that subsequent week to make sure that you can bounce back because what's more important than making up for the workout is making sure that you get back to the place where you can nail whatever might be coming no doubt. in the yep. future. And so don't think about makeup. Just think about recovery and get your A, get your a game back. Post that bad workout. So to me, that's really what the focus should be coming back. And yeah, it might involve some slight modifications to training, but what I always tell people is I want you to maintain, aside from injury, I want you to maintain your routine, go out and do that recovery run, no matter how badly you feel. I promise you, you feel better. As long as you take it super easy, you'll feel better when you're done. And then you've turned the page and you're looking forward. So, so don't let that self-flagellation get you into a negative spiral that suddenly takes you out of the game. Keep moving forward. Do the next thing on the schedule and go from there.
All right. Any other thoughts on bad workouts? No, I think we uh, I think we nailed it. Okay, let's talk about missing workouts or missing runs. And you've already alluded to our answer here. <laughs> we don't make up. Right. And that is a general theme in, in our training f- approach, especially as it relates to long runs and workouts. If something happens, and this will be a theme really throughout the next four things we talk about, is you, you don't look back. You always look forward. Now, I will say that within a week, sometimes there are nuanced caveats to that. Of course. Where it might not be making up, but it might be adjusting in order to kind of still make it all work. So as an example, you know, my group meets on Wednesday morning for our quality workout. Our long runs are Saturday. Typically, they're doing their medium long runs on Monday, recovery Thursday, Sunday, and then oftentimes for those runners doing six days a week, they'll run Tuesday, takes Friday off. So Friday becomes a day that can be a little bit of a great flexibility, at least within the week. So for example, I had a runner actually on vacation and he got stuck on, on vacation uh, on the beach in Mexico. There, there are worse places to be stuck yep. and he wasn't going to make it to the Wednesday workout. He was planning to be back, but wasn't. So he missed yesterday and he said, what should I do? And I said, well, can you do the workout Thursday? He said, I can. So he ended up getting back a day late, doing the workout Thursday. Now his recovery run shifts to Friday. He doesn't have that normal off day you would have. He's going to run long Saturday and then keep going. So basically Wednesday became an off day for him in this week. But sequentially everything stayed in order, right? Workout, recovery, long run course i'm emphasizing to him take that recovery run super easy you don't want right. to compromise yourself with just one day between though you know wednesday and saturday or uh, sorry thursday and saturday but that kind of adjustment works where you can maintain the sequential nature of your plan and typically that means there's flexibility within a week of maybe flipping days right here or there but if somebody misses a workout on Wednesday, can't do it Thursday, certainly not going to have them do it Friday. Right. That ship has sailed. Or if he had said, no, I can't do a recovery run on Friday because of X, Y, Z, then I'd say, all right, then you're running easy Thursday, you know, and maybe easy Friday, but you're not doing a workout. We're moving past it. So those are the things you have to keep in mind. But in general... At the small scale, you can potentially make adjustments, move things around, move things around to fit your routine. But on the big scale, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, and, and I would say to that point too, there's you've had a myriad of other examples where um, you know a, an athlete is on vacation or going on vacation. An athlete, in fact, I have one this week where my athlete is uh, she's got surgery on Saturday. Um, she's got LASIK surgery, and so we talked about doing the long run Sunday, but we don't think the doctor is going to like that. So instead, what we're going to do is the long run on Friday. So we're going to bake in, uh, again, recovery ahead of that and keep that sequence in order. And, and so that still works. And yep. so when you've got athletes that are on vacation or have other uh, other things that are affecting their life, you can plan accordingly, but... I guess the main message is 
if we lose the opportunity to keep that sequence and keep it in the right order, then we don't make it up. We move on and look to the future. Yeah. Yeah. Because active rest, you know, to me, and I've said this before, the number or a top three reason why people get hurt is when they go from hard effort to long effort without active rest in between. Right. Or long effort to hard effort without active rest in between. That is a requirement. A recipe for for disaster so that's the general rule but then beyond that if you miss you miss you move on and so then the question becomes okay what if i miss how do i handle that and you know what if that's the right thing and that's again where we get back to the point where it's the body of work that matters no one workout is super critical to your plan versus the body of work that you're doing now maybe the slight asterisk i would put on that is that especially within our training there are some key long run workouts right where we might have three of those building up to a marathon or a half marathon and and yes on the margin those are probably more important than some other workouts in the plan and so if there is an opportunity to plan at the macro level from the start how it all fits together for you, then that may be something to consider if you're looking well ahead. But within the moment, within, you know, the small scenarios of, of, Hey, something happened. I just missed today. Put it behind you. Consider an extra rest day. Right. Right. And, and move on knowing that the body of work is what matters. Now, the big thing to avoid here to me is the spiral you know, of I miss something, I'm going to miss the next thing. Cause that for some reason tends to happen to people where if they miss one thing, it becomes easier to miss a second thing. And then it kind of becomes this spiral of missing more things because they start beating themselves up. They're like, right, Oh, I missed right. that. So now it doesn't matter. Like I'm a, you know, I've completely blown my schedule. So I'm just going to start missing more. And, and, and so I have to remind people, no, you know, you miss one thing, put it behind you, do the next thing. Or in some cases, if you can't do the whole thing, do some, you know, do a partial thing. You know, for example, I've had people say, oh, I can't do the Wednesday workout. I'm traveling, be on a treadmill, and maybe it just isn't accommodating for them to, to do a workout on the treadmill. Then just do a run. Go run as much as you can on the treadmill to, yeah, it's not the same as doing a workout, but it's way better than doing nothing. So Something is always better than nothing. Or if you have a six mile run on the schedule and you only do three, go do the three mile run. Go do 20 minutes. Do whatever you can do because something's always better than nothing in the context of missing. But if you miss, put it behind you. Move on. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the, the two things I would kind of emphasize there that I really try and reinforce with, with my group is A, the planning piece of it. So there are those key workouts that ideally we want them to to get that work done and 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 sometimes that may not be able to happen because they're traveling work etc the more we so what i do is when i sit down with them at the beginning of the cycle for a one-on-one we look at the calendar we plot out what those dates are and if if there's an issue with one of them then we can figure out how to get some version of that work done at an alternate time potentially yeah if you plan up front if you plan it ahead and you have enough time in advance um so so that's the first piece the second piece is i'm i'm totally on board with you with once you miss that workout 
you've got to make sure that the athlete is in the right headspace because there's so much mental struggle with that down that potential downward spiral yeah. um, because they feel like well you know screw it I missed <laughs> last week my fitness is shot and you know I'm not going to hit my goal now um, that might be an extreme example but we see lots of variation in that and you got to constantly reinforce I, I find myself after after those difficult weekends when we have a long run and, and I, I've seen some some difficult workouts and failures, I always reinforce to my group, like put it behind you. One bad workout doesn't make a cycle. Consistency is what's important. And we're focused on the body of work. So put it behind you and we got more work to do this week. Yep. So along those lines of missing things, let's talk about vacation now. And this was especially relevant over the summer for a lot of people taking family time as it always is, as it always is. And so, you know, that is a very common question that I get from people. And one, there's that worry that if they go on vacation, they're going to somehow miss something and, and then not be the fitness level they need to be. So that I think we've already dispelled, (laughs) you know, a little bit because, you know, one week, or even two weeks of a slightly modified routine is not going to ruin your cycle. I talked about my two my two week honeymoon. Right. I may have run three or four times on that trip and went on to went on to get a marathon PR. I mean, even this summer, I point to the fact that when I was in Europe, in France, leading up to the trail, the fifty miler I did in August. Other than the trail race I did, which was twenty five miles. I ran one other time in a 15-day period. Now, got a lot of walking in because we're walking all around cities and hiking and stuff like that. So I was doing other things, but two weeks of vacation without having a a routine consistent around my training, and it was fine. It did not derail what I was trying to do. And so that's an important message even when you're thinking about more extended time away you know it, it really takes about three weeks of doing absolutely nothing right aerobic to detrain and so you know two weeks not a big deal even three weeks where you have to do modifications is okay as long as you can maintain some sort of routine or in the case of injury we'll talk about cross train and find other ways to to keep the system going yep and so if if you've got a one or two week vacation, my general rule, and you may have something different, is enjoy your vacation, <laughs> number one. Yep. And then in the context of what are you going to need to do to enjoy your vacation, obviously incorporate whatever activity is appropriate. Personally, I like to run on vacation when I can, but I'll do it in a way that you know, fits the routine of what our family's doing so I don't take away from family time whether that means get up early or, you know, go at, at certain times that, that fit certainly means generally not doing a workout or at least really structured workouts. Occasionally I'll do fartleks and that kind of stuff just to mix it up on vacation. Oftentimes I'm not able to do a super long run. So, you know, I might only be able to get in six, eight miles at a time maximum. And then it just becomes, you know, have fun first for me, you know, in the context of my family and making sure that they're prioritized and then it's kind of whatever else I can do is fine. It's totally fine. And just do it. You know, I had 
one runner who's actually racing this weekend. She had a couple trips. One was a trip to Colorado, another one trip to to the beach. And you know, the Colorado trip, she didn't run at all, but she was hiking. Beach trip, she only got in a handful of runs that were a few miles. Yep. But it was fine. Little one week windows where you're doing some alternative things, then you pick it back up and get rolling after that. So that's generally my advice. What do you tell athletes on vacation? Yeah, so very similar. I, I, I've always felt in every role that I've been in, um, whether it's here at Rogue or in corporate America in my past life, the vacation was critically important. I've, I, I think about it um, the way I always describe vacation. It, it's the opportunity to recharge your batteries. And, and, and for different people, that looks very different. Um, and, and so to me, it's an opportunity for you to get away from work, get away from the routine, get away from everything that you feel is um, not allowing you to relax and recharge your batteries and just go have fun. And so you you kind of articulated that, hey, you know, for me on a vacation, I like to run. I, I typically do too. Um, and, and, and so that's what I try and do in, with my athletes is sit down with them and, and have that conversation with them. Um, and ideally, again, back to the whole planning thing, if we can talk about this in the beginning of the cycle and they know they've got a week or two weeks planned for vacation on XYZ dates, then, okay, we can potentially maybe shift a down week so that their down week is on vacation yep. um, and kind of modify their schedule. And then and then the next question I ask them is, is what does recharging your batteries on vacation look like? For some, that's, hey, I want to go run every day because yep. I can. I don't have yeah. to go to work. Yep. I don't have any other obligations. I'm going to run more. And I'm like, well, <laughs> let's be careful. Slow We're not going to overdo it. Slow your roll. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. if they want to maintain their routine with running, um, more power to them. I, I, I kind of have the same opinion of workouts. I really don't want them to try and do a super structured workout on vacation on their own. So we'll typically try and modify it and do something a little more simple, some type of fartlek type workout. Yep. But for others, it's the opposite. Like they're on the beach. The last thing they want to do is go for a run. Running in Florida, because I did it this summer, is not that <laughs> not much fun, fun in the summer. Not no. at all. Um, so, so that's fine. Like a week off, even two weeks off to your point, maybe even three with some modification. It's not the end of the world. Um, and, and especially provided that we talk about it ahead of time and plan for it. Um, we can easily shuffle things around so that it doesn't derail their fitness. Um, you know, myself this, this summer I had two separate one week vacations and one was the beach in Florida. Um, I, I don't love the beach. Uh, <laughs> my wife is, is the exact opposite. She can literally lay on a lawn chair at the beach all day long. I have about 30 minutes and then I go stir crazy. So I went for a run every day as miserable yeah. as it was. It was the <laughs> same out and back. Um, up and down the one road <laughs> yep. uh, along the beach and some days it was even at one o'clock in the afternoon so it was it was rather warm but it was my escape I mean yep. I enjoyed it um, the the opposite was it was kind of interesting to me because we went to Colorado and I, I love the mountains um, I kind of planned on running every day but we had this amazing little cabin with my family it was just the five of us and we ended up staying up late playing board games, just hanging out as a family. 
And most days I did not wake up early and go run because I wanted to spend time with the family. Yep. Um, so I got a few runs in, I got a few hikes in, I got a bike ride in and I came back and I felt really relaxed and recharged. So I think you got to find what works for the individual and just enjoy it. And then know that when you get back, you get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Do whatever level of activity will allow you to enjoy it. Cause that's the part that I think people don't consider you know, they are thinking about losing fitness or not gaining fitness in some way, but they're not thinking about the fact that they are gaining recovery. They are gaining the oh, opportunity yeah, to, point. to come back at, in a sharper place. And especially if that's happening mid cycle, when you might be a little bit beat up from training, that may be exactly what you need is a little bit of a, a slower week yeah. where you're running based on what you feel like doing. And and then you can come back, you're resting more, you're sleeping more, hopefully come back and you're, you're more ready to go. You're, as you said, recharged. Yeah. Well, and, and not just physically place. recovered, but mentally too. Some people just need that mental break. So, yeah. And, and again, to me, it should take whatever form and structure fits where you are, what you enjoy, what your family allows, if family's involved, you know, for me, Amy likes to run as well. We're both runners and we have that bond, but yeah, she's different paces. So, and with our family routine, she's kind of runs in the evening. I do in the mornings, but when we're on vacation, uh, especially other, if other families there to watch the kids or whatever, and oftentimes my parents or the in-laws will come, then we'll go run together because that's really a time when we can do that. Right. We're different paces, but I'll just run with her because it's more about spending time together than it is about getting a certain pace outcome yep. and that's that's okay and so enjoy it have fun with it think of it as an opportunity to recover and come back and then jump on your training and and crush it because as i said you know i can think of several situations where i had a two-week vacation in the middle of a block that worked out fine and embrace it enjoy it Yep, and recharge those don't, batteries. Don't force it. Yeah, don't stress about it. I do have people that stress. Like, no, if you're stressing about it, you're already overthinking it. And, but, you know, but you should move on, figure out what works, come back and, and get to work again. So that's vacation, a more welcome break. Yeah, no doubt. From training. Now we're going to talk about some unwelcome breaks for, for from training and sickness being the next one then we'll talk a little bit about injury sickness is is gosh probably to me the most frustrating especially as adults we're not used to getting sick right but as an adult with three kids i get sick more now than i did (laughs) 10 years ago when i didn't have kids because they're little petri dishes bringing stuff home especially presents from school yeah yeah yeah, especially during the school year. And so, you know, I've had the flu, I've had strep, I've had crazy upper respiratory stuff recently because my children have infected me. And and it happens. But it's frustrating because, you know, I think with scheduling, with vacation, you feel like you can plan for, you can do something about it, your control. And with injury, you feel like in some ways you earned it or at least, (laughs) you know, it's kind of expected because you're working so hard. At least I got hurt because I was working hard. But with sickness, it feels like you just like somebody attacked you. It just feels 
like there's some personal karma, you know, coming back at you in the moment. And I think as adults, we're often grumpiest when we get sick because we're just not used to dealing I with it. I would agree. So personally, super grumpy. And I get this question all the time. What happens? What do I do if I'm sick? I Personally, I only have one hard and fast rule with being sick. And that's that if you have a fever of any variety, you know, 99 or above. Yep. Don't run. Yep. Don't do anything. To me, that is a the only hard and fast rule. If you have a fever, don't run. Because what you're doing when you do that is you're just going to make it worse. Your goal when you're sick is to get well as quickly as possible, not to worry about maintaining or running or doing anything while you're sick. The goal is to get as well as you can as quickly as possible. And oftentimes to do that, you need to actually let your body rest, relax, hydrate, sleep, do all the things that you need to do to get healthy. And and so to me, the fever, you know, with school... They say, don't send your kid to school with X fever, right? So it's the same with running. Don't run. At school, it's 100 degrees. Don't come. For me, with running, it's 99 degrees. If you have 99-degree fever or more, just don't do it. Beyond that, it's more of a judgment call. And... And for me, this will happen where I'm, you know, I have allergy issues and so I might have some sort of thing developing, but it's not to the point yet where I have a fever or maybe it isn't even yet to an infection, but I might have sinus headache, sinus issues, that kind of thing, drainage, you know, congestion. And those are the trickiest ones where it's like, okay, do I run? Do I not run? Don't have a fever, but I feel terrible, etc. And for me, what I tell people is, you have to then follow your gut if or your your judgment but if if your body's telling you not to run if you just don't want to do it if it's going to be miserable because of how you're feeling don't do it again better to take time off allow yourself to focus on recovery so that's where it becomes more of a judgment call but i always tell people err on the conservative side if you're not sure if you think should i run should i not run i feel okay and generally if you're asking yourself that question don't do it because then go sleep, take a nap, hydrate, whatever you need to do to get healthy. So those are my general rules on managing it in the moment. What do you tell people? Yeah. So the way I think about it, um, you said this a second ago is the goal changes. The second you get sick, the goal now has nothing to do with running. So what I talk to my athletes about when they get a sinus infection, when they get a stomach virus, whatever that is, is the goal now is to do everything you can to get healthy as quickly as possible. So whatever that looks like, and I have the same rule with a fever. Fever, absolutely do not run. Other than that, you have to make the best judgment call, but with the goal of you're not doing any workouts, you can run a little bit if that makes sense, if, if you feel like it's going to be valuable. But if there is that question, the answer is no in your head. Um, and, and everything should be focused on getting healthy as quickly as possible. So to me, that looks like you know making sure you're getting proper fluids, making sure you're getting extra sleep. Um, the, the way I think about it, I'm certainly not a doctor, um, but the way I think about it in my experience as an athlete is I look at when my kids do get sick and when they give it to me and I get sick, typically, typically, unfortunately and unfairly, 
they get healthy and get past it significantly <laughs> quicker than I do. Right. Um, and, and I think, sure, some of that could be age, but I, I also feel like some of it is because as athletes, as endurance athletes, we're taxing our systems pretty significantly. When we're running 40, 50, 60, 80 miles a week, that's really difficult on our body to keep up and to properly recover and to, and to fight against these types of bacteria and viruses, et cetera. So, so the more stress we continue to put on our bodies when we're in the throes of an illness, um, the longer it's going to take for our systems to fight that infection and, and to get past it. Yep. So, so I, I used to be of the mindset, um, look, I need it mentally, so I'm just going to go run. But <laughs> I guess I've gotten wiser in my old age. Now when I get sick, I go to sleep. Because yeah. all I want to do is get healthy so I can get back to feeling well. The only exception is I do have some allergy issues. And I do find that when I have some sinus congestion, sometimes actually run, going for a run makes me feel better. Clears you out. Yep. Yeah, it kind of clears you out. So, Yep, I agree with that. Have the same experience. The other thing I would say is go to the damn doctor. <laughs> I mean, as adults, we're terrible no about this. <laughs> I think especially as as type a personalities where we just want to crank through everything and we think, Oh, I'm strong enough. I'll beat this thing on my own. Just go to the damn doctor. And, and that's something I used to be stubborn about too, where you're just like, ah, oh, I don't want to deal with it, yep. et cetera. But, but just go to the doctor. They'll get you antibiotics if you need it. You'll be able to <laughs> nip it in the bud quickly versus let it become this thing that, that lingers and lingers. And so I won't rant about it too much, but, I've seen that with people where they just unwilling <laughs> to go yeah. to the doctor. And well, then can I hop on for with a week. funny, funny yeah. story there? Um, so this actually isn't regarding me. It's, it's my son, but just in general, I'm, I'm hesitant of most, most Western medicine doctors. My wife is too. So we, we typically try and avoid, um, we, we do go see our favorite witch doctor, <laughs> uh, Dr. Moose frequently, and he takes pretty good care of us. But there are, there are times for antibiotics. There are times for anti-inflammatories and they have a purpose. Um, several years ago, my, uh, middle son, um, he was playing soccer at the time and he was complaining one morning and he's not a complainer. Uh, he is not a hypochondriac. I have another son, which I won't name, <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah. Zachary is not a hypochondriac. So when he complains about something, you know he's he's hurting. Uh, he was complaining. His head was hurting, et cetera, et cetera. We had a soccer game. We went to the soccer game. He was really struggling. You could see him over on the sidelines. Like he was he was suffering. Um, didn't even play most of the second half. We get him off the field. And, and of course, at this point, we had done nothing. No Advil, no ibuprofen. Um, we're hoping he could just, you know, tough it out, kid. Um, we, he gets done with the game and he just loses it in the car. Um, we, uh, we finally break down, go to Walgreens, get him some Advil and 15 minutes later, totally fine. <laughs> Parent of the year award. Um, turns out it was just, it was a simple ear infection. We took him to the doctor. They got antibiotics and yep. a day later yeah. he's totally fine. And I, th I feel like in general, we're decent about that with our kids because we don't want them to suffer. In that case, you weren't as decent as you should have <laughs> <Yeah>, been. Well. <laughs> but with uh, with ourselves, we're not good at it. So just go to the doctor, do it as quickly as you can. And that requires having a primary care physician, whatever form that takes for you so that you can quickly pick up the phone and go see them. And I did it 
recently with an upper respiratory thing where I suddenly had a chest cold and just went to the doctor, got on a pack, and boom, it was done, yep. you know, in two days. And, and so just do it. And then that way you can get healthy, recovered and back to your training. And if you do miss something while you're sick, <laughs> don't make it up. Just pick up the schedule where you left off. Yep. Anywhere, you know, to me, anything that is less than seven days, whether it be sickness, injury, just crazy week at work and couldn't get anything done with your running, anything less than seven days, maybe I should caveat it slightly, for the most part requires no modifications coming back. You should be able to jump back in, obviously manage based on how you're feeling. So if you're coming off being sick and you don't feel great coming back the the first run, fine, slow down a little bit, adjust accordingly. Right. But assuming you're feeling good, if you if you've missed less than a seven day window, you could just jump right back on the schedule as planned. Of course, I would consult your coach, consult your doctors, and all those things. You know, all those caveats. But for the most part, anything less than seven days doesn't require a ramp back up. In in my opinion, generally. So that's sickness. Just focus on getting healthy, then get back to work. When it comes to injury, the fifth and final what if, which it's it's clearly more complicated, perhaps, and this is where we'll talk about the nuances of building back if you've had a little bit longer time off or maybe more time on cross training. Also talked about this recently with Sasha Golish and in that episode. So some of this we've covered a little bit before, but I wanted to to emphasize it in the context of how do you manage things when they pop up. To me, the number one thing is recognize it as soon as you can and start managing it as soon as you can. And I think a lot of people, especially that are newer to the game of, di- of long distance racing, will basically stick on the plan, not make modifications until it becomes something that requires them not to run. Right. And so goal number one with any little niggle or issue that might pop up is to start managing it as soon as possible. Sometimes that might require no medical intervention. Sometimes it might require going to see a PT, a Cairo, an orthopedist, somebody quickly. But er- the earlier you can intervene, the better. And you know, I think this does require learning to listen to your body a little bit, knowing the difference between just simply being sore from a run or from a workout and something that might be that little thing. And and for me, you know, having run for 20 years, I know the difference. I mean, I could tell you at the very faintest feeling on any run of something popping up, whether or not it's something I need to deal with or not. And so you'll develop that over time. But I would in general err again, err on the conservative side. And if you're not sure, start to manage it as soon as you can. That means consulting with your coach if you have one who oftentimes will, even though they're not a doctor, at least have experience on how to deal with it, point you in the right direction. Go see a provider if you need to. So it talks about, as we've talked about before in this episode, having your team around you that you can quickly call upon. That includes a primary care physician, but also a PT, a Cairo, an orthopedist who understands runners so that you can quickly address these things. But ideally... 
you get to it before it becomes more than a three. You know, my general rule of thumb for runners is if the pain is a three or less and it doesn't get worse as you go on your runs, then you can run and you should actually run. Movement equals blood flow equals healing. Once it gets over a three, that's when you need to modify your running. And so ideally you catch it in that one to three window and then start to do something about it. Obviously, depending on what that is, that can come in a lot of different forms. It could mean extra foam rolling. It could mean getting a massage. It could mean going to one of the providers I talked about. It could mean taking a day off here and there. It could mean modifying (laughs) your workout so that you reduce the intensity for a period of time. So it could mean a lot of different things, but do something. Don't just let it build and build and build until it becomes something that prevents you from running altogether. Yep. Yeah, I, I think about the, the first piece you talked about is really understanding because running involves a lot of suffering, right? Um, it, especially when it's 100 degrees in Austin, Texas. That's not fun, and it does hurt sometimes. But there's a difference between um, suffering on a workout because it's hard and pain. And, and, and that's not always easy for us to evaluate. Now, you and I, I think, have been through enough years of running, enough injuries, at least I'll speak for myself, to be able to be that in tune with your body to know. Um, the way I position it with my athletes is I tell them, I, I think your scale of, of a 3 out of 10 on pain is a good way to think about it. What I also tell them is if they have something that's been bothering them for more than 48 hours and it's not getting better on its own, then we need to have a conversation because at that point it's not just traditional delayed onset muscle soreness. It's something that we need to address with one of those other intervening criteria. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I tell them is you've got to let me know because the, the further ahead of this we can get, then, you know, hopefully the less severe it is. If you tell me three weeks afterwards and you've been dealing with this and it's hurt you every day, then it may be pretty far gone and you may have done more damage over that period. But if we address it after 48 hours, then there's a good chance that we can get ahead of this and put it behind us really quickly. Yeah, so you don't have to modify. That is my number, maybe my number one pet peeve as a coach when I get someone who emails me and says, oh, I can't run today. (laughs) And then I ask them why. Right. They say, well, this is bothering me. I say, how long has it been bothering them? And then they tell me (laughs) three weeks or two weeks or any length of time, (laughs) as you said, that's more than about 48 hours. And that is so frustrating because I would say that most of the things we deal with as runners, there are certainly exceptions. If you get ahead of it, then you can actually work through it before it becomes a bigger issue. Right. That's not true for everything, but for most things, that is true. And I'll give you an example from today. I mean, I, I've i been feeling the last couple of days this little knee pain. I mean, it's I would even say it's not even a one. It, I mean, it's not even a two. It's probably a one on the pain scale. And running completely normally, I don't feel like it's causing my stride to be out of whack. And I, But I've had it before. I get sometimes on my left side, especially these alignment issues that might cause pain in the knee, sometimes hip, sometimes ankle. And part of that's all really stems from the fact that my left ankle has some mobility issues that I'm constantly working on. But I felt it today. I felt it yesterday on my run. Nothing that would take me out of running. You know, I'm doing a race this weekend, still plan to do that. Even if I don't 
intervene, you know, with it between now and then. But I know that I need somebody to fix this alignment issue. And I go to a couple different people that can do that for me. So, you know, so mental note for me after today's run. Okay. Schedule a session. It's, it's time to get somebody to figure out why that is a little bit out of whack, put it back into, into normal order and then it'll be fine if I, but I know that if I let it linger, if I don't go see someone, then it will probably become something that becomes more of an issue. So seek that intervention. What form that takes can come in a lot of different forms. And obviously we're not going to talk about every potential injury you might have, but the point simply is that at the earliest signs of something not feeling right, and I love your 48 hour rule, do something about it. Even if you don't know what it is, even if you don't know what the right thing is, because sometimes for me as an athlete, it's been trial and error, trial and error where I might have a pain somewhere. And then I go jump on the foam roller for an hour and just play around on the foam roller, rolling everything else around that, that area until I find maybe a source of tightness that suddenly radiates the pain to that one spot. And then I know, okay, now I figured out where this is coming from. There's tightness in another area that's causing pulling in one area and that, you know, in the painful area. And so then through that trial and error, I found that spot. Okay. Now I'm going to foam roll that thing for 20 minutes every day. And if I have progress, perfect. I'm good. I figured it out. If I don't, then go to the next thing to try, go get a massage go talk to somebody. You just have to do something. Recovering from injury, especially for runners, is never an idle practice. Doing nothing will never help you recover, except in the case of fractures, (laughs) right? I mean, really, (laughs) literally. And you and I both know that. Yeah, we've had fractures. So a fracture or an acute tear of a a ligament tendon or muscle where the you know, something is completely torn that obviously requires no activity for a period of time. But I would think most people would also be surprised that most of those things require you to start physical therapy sooner than most people think, you know, going back to my fracture, going back to my fractured elbow as an example. I mean, I would start a PT a week after it happened and it was very gentle and you start just with basic range of motion. And so they, they scale it based on how healthy that bone has become. But but in general, most injury requires active something to get better from it. As I said, that can be a lot of forms. Could be foam rolling, massage, strength, going to, going to see someone and getting manipulations. A lot of different things, self-massage. A lot of different things, but it's doing something. Figure out what, figuring out what you can do to make it better and then doing it consistently because if you don't do anything doing nothing will likely not solve the problem and then when you start running again it'll be right there again and it's just going to delay the recovery yep especially with those soft tissue injuries where it might be muscle or you know a lot of times with runners it's muscle and so people be like well i took three days off should be fine then they start running in and it's right there because you haven't dealt with the core problem. Right. So figure out what you need to do and do it. And if you're not sure what to do, try something, Yep. <laughs> try something, do something. Something's always better than nothing. As yep. I said before. And again, I want to reinforce the only thing that I would add is after that 48 hour period, 
sure start trying stuff, but consult your coach. And if you have a great group of teammates around you, consult with them because chances are someone around you has experienced a similar situation and they may have some great advice. I remember back years ago when I first started having some Achilles issues and I consulted with some teammates and someone recommended eccentric heel drops. And I still frequently have Achilles will start to kind of just start to nag a little bit and I know you know when that feeling starts I know immediately I've got to go get on a stair and do eccentric heel drops and it always works Um, so there's tons of knowledge out there with your coaches your teammates but if you don't ask you're you're not going to get it and then you start to develop over time that personal database of things you know we all have our common issues that we deal with and once you learn how to address it one time then you need then you know what you need to go back to when it pops up again. So that's thinking about it in the moment. Try to deal with it before it takes you out. And, you know, then the question becomes, okay, well, if I'm managing something, what do I do with my running in the meantime? In general, my general recommendation is keep the running. Try to keep your routine as much as you can. Where I usually make modifications will be on quality and you know either modifying that or taking it out while somebody might be bouncing back and that can take a lot of different forms and or sometimes cutting back the volume where they're keeping the routine but they're cutting back volume 20 to 30 percent is as an example while they're recovering until that issue goes away and then they build back up so they're able to maintain fitness essentially and so those things are where coaches are going to be able to use their database of knowledge and their experience to, to advise you. So it's hard to give perfect rules. But I would say for those that are out there figuring it out on their own is, is trust your judgment and listen to your body. And I think most of the time we have intuitive feel for what we should do, but we just won't listen to ourselves right you know and pain is your guide you know so pain is your coach in in a lot of these things and so if for example that pain is a two but you do a workout it pops up to a three or four okay that's a sign that maybe workouts are are a problem take those workouts out keep the running and see if it goes back to a two if it goes to a two perfect maintain for a bit of time at that level and then try a workout again, maybe at a little bit lower intensity. Listen to your body. Use pain as a cue. Does it pop up again to a three or four or does it stay at that two level? If it stays at a two, okay, that's feedback. Now I can do another workout. And so that's where you can try, test and try and experiment. And I think even with athletes that I'm coaching, I might have some intuitive advice to say, okay, cut back 20% on volume cut back on paces this way but then still they've got to tell me how it feels right because if i'm not then having a dialogue with them about how the outcomes about the outcome from those adjustments we can't do it right so i yeah i gave them a starting point and people always want to say okay well now now what should i do for the next two weeks <laughs> and and i always say <laughs> i say no not we're gonna take easy. we're gonna take this a day sometimes maybe two or three days at a time Check in on our body, see how it feels, and then look at the next one, two, or three days. But you have to think about it very much that way 
very much in small chunks, very much adjust as you go, use pain as your guide and, and your body will tell you when it's ready. I mean, that's, that's really your best indicator. Yeah. I think that's a great way to think about it. And and as you get more experience and build that library, um, you're going to be more in tune to be able to really listen to your body. The, the, the other thing I wanted to go back to, because I just, as you were talking, I realized how much we focused on in the sick conversation about going to a doctor. Yep. And, and while um, th- there is certainly um, the need in an injury to seek out help, and, and that could be, you talked about it, it could be a chiropractor, it could be a physical therapist, it could be an orthopedist. There, there's some watch outs there that, yep. that I want to caution um, our listeners about. So most Western trained orthopedists are going to tell you one of three things. They're going to tell you, stop running. Yep. They're going to tell you, uh, I can give you a cortisone shot or surgery, right? right. And, and some of those things may be necessary. I'm personally not a huge fan of cortisone shot ever. Right. Um, but th- that's not going to be the only advice and the only protocol. And so if you get a very black and white protocol, such as stop running or you need surgery from a doctor, I would recommend the next step is seek out somebody else. Seek out a physical therapist. Seek out a chiropractor. Um, because there may be another path. And, and I would say the other, and it's not just a Western trained orthopedist, someone like an Arasi specialist who they're trained specifically in soft tissue. If, if you don't have a soft tissue and you have potentially a stress fracture or a bone issue and they start to treat it, it's going to hurt and not in the right way that a Rossi is supposed to hurt. And it's not going to do a whole lot of good. Yep. Um, so you've got to be smart about it and you've got to really not only listen to your body, but use your common sense and judgment. Um, and again, at this point, leverage your coach, leverage your other resources with teammates to ask them what experiences they've had and what paths they've taken. Yeah. And if you don't have a provider who's dealt with runners, call the local running store. Absolutely. Ask them, hey, who who you know, who do the local runners see? Because the key to me, regardless of the training of the practitioner, is are you dealing with somebody who understands the challenges that runners face, which are definitely unique. And orthopedic surgeons typically are dealing with acute issues, fractures, ligament tears, tendon tears, things that require surgery. Right. And that's oftentimes not what we're dealing with. So so that's why, and there are look great orthopedic surgeons who understand runners. Those the, the they Absolutely. they definitely exist, but there are those who don't, and or who don't understand it, and their training hasn't been geared towards that. So why would you expect them to understand it? So just be aware that when you're making a choice to see a provider, you should try to see someone who really understands the challenges that we face, regardless of what their training looks like. Yep. And I think the best way to f- find that out is to ask people, get recommendations, you know, find somebody who had a similar thing that you're having and see who they saw. And as, as we said with the, the doctor, go see someone as quickly as you can, yep. even before it gets beyond that three level of pain, because the sooner you can get an intervention from a professional who understands how to deal with it, the better. I yep. mean, this is why yeah, I have, absolutely. this is why I have standing, <laughs> Standing appointments with the witch doctor every month. Yep, as do I. Because <laughs> invariably there's always something that pops up. 
and for me, it's worth it for yep. my own sanity. I, I never regret going it, to see. It's worth Noah. it for my own sanity <laughs> to see him because that keeps me happy and healthy and running. So, so that's managing it in the moment. Then the question will be, okay, once I work through that, then how do I deal with it? And you know, we talked a little bit about the modifications while you might be managing it, but what if? you get to that point where you have to take some time off or that pain is a four or above and that requires, you know, time not running, then, you know, the next step would be then figuring out, okay, well, what can I do from a cross training standpoint right. to maintain the aerobic fitness as much as possible? Now, again, we're not doctors and you'll have to seek advice there, but in general, the rule of thumb you might hear from people is again, use pain as your guide. If it doesn't hurt, if it hurts to run, don't run, you know, four or above. If it, and then when you're looking at cross training modalities, you want to find ones that don't cause pain. So, you know, and, and usually when you're not, when you don't have the impact of running, then the pain is, is okay. But there's certainly running related injuries where if you're doing cycling, that might actually still cause the pain that you're facing. You just don't want that. So you want to find a cross training modality that doesn't cause the pain. That's ideally pain free. And, you know, and then again, it's about routine. So maintaining your running routine, ideally now substituting those things with cross training at the exact days and times you normally would. What I generally tell people is cross train in, you know, the, the same time intervals you normally would for your running. So if you usually run an hour a day, go do cross training for an hour. And is it perfect, you know, running one hour versus cycling one hour? No, it's not. But I'm also assuming you don't have time to make it perfect. Right. So, you know, it's more important in maintaining the routine than it is about perfection at that point. So do whatever you can from a cross-training standpoint that's pain-free to maintain aerobic fitness. And then when you build back, you know, this is also tricky. Consult your coach. But if you miss more than seven days of running, to me, that requires some sort of ramp back. Right talked a lot about with this with Sasha. She had some great advice about how you kind of ramp down cross training while you're ramping up the running. But for me as a coach, it becomes, you know, if people miss two weeks, these are some rough rules of thumb. And again, every case is different because the injury might be different. The athlete might be different. You know, these are some rough rules of thumb, but if you miss two weeks, or sorry, you miss a, more than a week, then I like to have at least a two-week ramp back. If you miss two weeks, I like to have at least a three-week ramp back. And it kind of goes from there, you know? So you want to basically give yourself a similar ramp back as what you missed is yep. kind of the, the, the general rule of thumb. And, you know, again special special scenarios obviously you know might might require a different approach but that's generally how you think about it and that requires being patient that requires not overdoing it coming back because you don't want to cause re-injury that requires listening to your body as i've already talked about that might require slowing down a little bit until you do feel comfortable but you want to err, you know, give yourself that time to ramp back and be conservative as a part of that process because it's more important that you get healthy and that you resume normal load as soon as possible versus be impatient, try to ramp back too fast, re-injure yourself, and then just extend 
the process. The other thing I want to remind people before I let you jump in here is that once your injury is healed and that pain has gone away, you also have to remember that the rest of your body, in addition to the injured area, needs to readjust back to the load. So you're not just readjusting your injured body part component back to low, but you're also adjusting the rest of your body. And that's something personally that I've made a mistake as an athlete of forgetting. It's like, Oh, my stress fractured healed. Now I can just kind of ramp back up pretty quickly. No, no. Now that I've had that time off, my body now needs the time. The rest of my body now needs the time as well to get used to the load. So that's something to remember as a part of this too. But what do you generally tell people on that ramp back period? Well, um, before getting to the ramp back period, I want to, uh, go back a little bit to when, when I think about, um, cross training, um, and what cross training I'm going to use, I use, I use two criteria and and I love how Sasha talked about this and thinks about this. The one and the traditional one that I've used is which type of cross training is going to replicate running in the best form. So ideally best version of cross training is aqua jogging, um, Next is maybe um, elliptical. From there, it's probably bike. From there, swimming, et cetera, et cetera. Because aqua jogging is going to replicate the motion of running the best and utilize the muscles, lower impact or zero impact, but utilize the muscles in the same way, which is going to help with that ramp back um, because it's conditioning the muscles in a lot of the same way. But as as I've experimented with this personally, and as I think about what Sasha talked about, I think there's another component that you need to think about as well, because when you're injured, you have this mental battle, right? I mean, it's difficult. Um, it's, it's a hurdle to, um, have to deal with that setback and overcome it and, and work through it. And so for me, running brings me a lot of joy. I hate aqua jogging. <laughs> it is absolutely miserable. I've done it here, here, but it is absolutely painful. I love cycling. Um, and I, I, I do it frequently. Um, and so for me, like, in fact, recently I had a little ankle issue and it was on my ankle that I had surgery on three years ago and it scared me. So I said, I am not running starting tomorrow until I can go see Dr. Moose. So I'm on my bike and I love riding my bike. So, it was kind of a bummer not running for a few days, but I got to ride my bike and I found a ton of joy in that. So I think that's really valuable as well. Do the things you enjoy for sure. Yeah. Now what about ramping back? Um, so same thing. I think there, there's so much variable in ramping back and I think you've got to be really careful with it. And, and, and I think your point to recognize that your entire body, not just the injured part, um, has kind of been high on hiatus from the impact of running is really, really important. Um, in fact, I've seen that illustrated with, um, triathletes or cyclists that come in with this huge card and they haven't necessarily been injured. They come in with this huge cardiovascular system and incredibly fit, but in other disciplines. And they think that they immediately can just mm. ramp up and max out their efforts in running in the same way they do on the bike, but you can't because you've got to condition the body to handle the stress load and the impact of running all the little muscles and soft tissues in your feet and lower legs. They're not used to that. So if you're not smart to take the time to slowly ramp back up, um, then again, another recipe for disaster. So I love the way Sasha thinks about it in terms of 
ramping down your cross training and ramping up your running. I think that's yeah. a really smart way. Yeah. And again, overarching rule, listen to your body. One thing I do find when I'm bouncing back and, and readjusting to load is that sometimes I'll still have pain, maybe even pain in the injured area because that joint, that muscle, that tendon ligament complex is getting used to load again. And so it's sort of working things out. Sometimes you'll have pain associated with that. And I know that can be scary for people. Obviously you have to listen to it, use all the rules that we've talked about or, you know, three or less, four or more. But I do think it's common to have that pain. The one thing I've noticed for me is if that pain is moving or changing, right, right, then it's okay. It's maybe not something to be worried about. If it, if it's concentrated and becomes pinpoint again, that's when you have to say, okay, well maybe I'm pushing myself back to the point of injury. But I remember after I had the stress fracture in my heel post Boston, took three months completely off, knew it was healed, knew every you know everything from a bone standpoint was there and okay. Started ramping back, but that that ankle heel joint had pain in it at some level, but moving, changing all the time for probably three months before I completely forgot about it. And that can happen too. So yes, use pain as a guy, but also know that pain comes in different forms and there is that just getting used to load sort of pain. And then there's also that I'm getting re-injured sort of pain. Those can be different and you have to understand the nuances of that just by learning it. But I think that's one rule of thumb. If it's moving and changing, usually that's okay. But if it's pinpoint and concentrated, that's when you have to worry the last thing I want to talk about just very quickly is when do you pull the plug on your race? When do you say, okay, it's just not going to happen. Time to focus on getting healthy and pull the plug on this a race that might be coming. And I don't know that I have a hard and fast rule for that. It's something that's very case by case, but I will say that if you've, if you've had to adjust or do something for more than three or four weeks, Related to your injury, especially if you miss significant time running, three to four, you know, three to four weeks of running, and even if you're cross training, sometimes still that may not be enough. That's when you at least need to consider maybe adjusting your goal to a new one, and and focus on getting healthy. Take the lessons you can from that, and, and then look ahead. Again, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule there, but things kind of lasting longer than a month that have, have caused you to, to not run or to modify things for, for that long length of time. To me, that's when at least you want to have a conversation with someone about, or yourself, yep. about, hey, should I, should I bail? Is it better for me long-term to focus on getting healthy, building back my base fitness versus really trying to press and, and get something on the day when I may not be 100%. So that's an okay point to get to. And I think for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different, the variables that they would consider with that. But that's generally the window at which I start to at least talk about it with somebody. Yep. And, and that's such a tough decision. I mean, I've been on, on, on face with that decision twice. And one time I decided to push forward and try to race and not modify my plan. And it was disastrous. I... Ended up DNFing my only DNF, bailed at mile 14, ended up on the surgery table about three weeks later. 
the second time that happened, I was a little smarter and wiser, and I decided this, I've already paid for the race, already planned for it, but this is just not in the cards for me this time. I'm going to reset and focus on recovery. So sometimes you just have to make that decision. But I, I think you're right. It's not a hard and fast rule. Um, you've got to do really some soul searching and determine what's the right path for me and, and what are the priorities. Yeah, and maybe in some cases it also becomes just modifying the goal. Absolutely. Maybe you back the goal off. Maybe you make that race about something else for you. That can also be an okay decision. And to be clear, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about managing an injury for three or four weeks where you're still running. I'm talking about when you haven't been able to run for three or four weeks, that's when you need to start thinking about it. And just at least ask yourself the question. Yep. Am I going to be able to get to this race the way I want to? Do I need to make some modifications either to my goal, to the race itself? Because what you don't want is to force it. You don't want to think, oh, I have this deadline. I have to get to a certain place by this time. And and that's when you start making bad decisions that's not gonna from end an well. injury management standpoint. And we don't want that. So just at least give yourself the space to ask yourself and then do the right thing. Trust your instincts associated with it. And we hate when you have to make those decisions. But I will say that anytime I've had to do that personally or I've coached athletes through it, they've generally come out on the other side stronger in some way because they've dealt with a weakness physiologically that they've needed to deal with that the injury <laughs> showed them. Right. They've maybe mentally come out stronger. Maybe it, maybe it gives them a mental break yep. from training that they needed. So there's a lot of different ways you can turn those lemons into lemonade. But most of the time, people come out stronger on the other side and it's going to be okay. So embrace it. All right. With that, we got through our final what if, and hopefully you are now more prepared to deal with the what ifs of your training. Thanks to Brent for joining me on this one. Really always enjoy having you on and appreciate the insight and discussion. And of course, thanks to the audience for listening. Hopefully we were helpful for you today. This has been episode 148 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.